Thank you, Carol. I'm excited. Because let me tell you, this is when uh, Vic was sharing, um, and when Tim brought that word today, this is God's hour, and this is your hour. We see a lot of things in the world, and you get a lot of negative news, but I believe this is the greatest day that we live in. Because what is happening today, there is being a revival that's taking place worldwide, in families, and for those people that have a heart for God. But you don't hear that on the news. You don't get too many reports about that at all. But I mean, I look at the people here that I hear tonight in the big snowstorm like we had, and we hardly got no cancellation. Nobody called and says they're not coming because of the snow. But you guys are here. That's just the hour of God. Amen. Amen. And, like, and I'm believing this, that no matter how long you've been, if you've just been married, or how long you've been married, if you've been married as long as Carol and I have, there is a love and impartation that God's going to do to each and every one of us. I mean, what keeps me so excited about marriage is that when God touched me and showed Carol and I what married life is all about, after we were married eight years, we kept falling more in love with each other every year. And I, I mean, that's God's plan. And you know what? That you and I are part of that. I mean, the scripture says this. I mean, it's on your brochure that, that I mean, uh, on the flyer that we are the light of the world. That means we're so excited about Jesus Christ. We're so excited about God's plan. We're so excited about living together with our, with, with our mates that the light shines in the house. That's God's plan. Isn't that right? Now, I'm going to show a video now. At, um, I mean, I, some of you have seen her, seen the video. It's uh, put together by Promise Keepers. And um, it's, um, I mean, the speaker's on there. I mean, I couldn't outdo that. And so I'll just let it speak for itself. But that's where a lot of the world is at. They're what they're going to bring. I don't believe that when you, when, you see, when you see this over here, you can't help but get stirred. And the question that I'm going to walk around the room after the video, and I'm going to ask, what's stirred in your heart? Because it's a very powerful video. It was 40 minutes. I cut it down to 20. It picked out... The high, the high points in it, the high spots. But there is a message that comes through there. And we'll discuss it after the video. Uh, so, and I want to really thank Jeff Hunter and for coming here and bringing this, uh, whatever you call it, a video <laughs> projection unit, and uh, for bringing it. He brought it from his house. He, had, he's had it up, he has it up in his ceiling all tied down up there, and he took it all the way down, and he brought it here so that we could use it so we can see a bigger picture. So I would uh, sure appreciate you doing that for us, Jeff. So I'll start with that, and then um, I'm going to share, I'm going to bring a couple to you up here that's going to share their testimony. Um, but I'll tell you who they are after. So, okay, Jeff. Can you 
Uh, you've got, I've already, by the way, in this, um, in your folder, I put some, just some notes in there already on the video. I w I'd like to see you just add to that. But listen to real close to what is, uh, what's being shared, okay? I need, let me go take the lights off, okay? Shut the lights off. lived within its boundaries, one year drifting into another, each century, each millennium marking a slice of eternity. Filled with activity, thriving for a moment, vast civilizations have come and then gone. Their notable achievements stand as mute monuments to grand dreams that could not be sustained. Only a few things stand the rigorous test of time. Only a few things last forever. God's truth transcends time. Those who grab hold and embrace it touch the eternal. As nations and individuals align themselves with this truth, they flourish. But when full of themselves, they become dust. The timeless word of God speaks to every generation. What is his word for this new millennium? Life does not look like a desert. Everything around us seems to be blossoming with energy, conveniences, technical wizardry. For many, the good times are rolling, but a deeper look reveals the barrenness of our lives, of our churches, of our nation. The crush of daily demands, the chaos of consuming pressures, the brokenness of relationships and dreams, all make this life feel like a desert, dry, barren always shifting, often meaningless. But truth remains. When God speaks, it is sealed in heaven. He confronts with judgment. He nourishes with hope. At this crossroads, what is God saying to America? What is God saying to your church? What is God saying to you? new beginnings, new years, new centuries, the beginning of the third millennium of the Christian era. Times Square. It's a place where hope comes alive for a lot of people. In a similar way, there's an extraordinary hope rising among Christian leaders in our land. It is a hope that God desires to do something radically new with his people. Hello, I'm David Bryant. For the next few minutes, we're going to hear representative voices from many Christian traditions in America. They are nationally respected leaders and visionaries who share a common message for American Christians in this crucial hour. Several of their messages were captured at conferences hosted by Promise Keepers, a national ministry that brings leaders from all denominations together on one platform and promotes unity among Christians as a primary goal. These leaders and many others like them are speaking with one voice. 
On the one hand, they do bring us a message of hope for a fresh beginning throughout the body of Christ. But that's not all. These Christian leaders are also urging us to see that a new work of God may be the only hope for the future of our nation. In fact, everywhere I go, I hear pastors and leaders saying that we are at a decisive moment. There's a sense of urgency that only that God is about to do a new thing, but also that he must do a new thing in his church. I think the question is not, is everybody looking at the year 2000 as something significant? I think the real question is, what does it mean? I mean, what does it mean? And I think to the world it means one thing, a time for a party, a time for a celebration. But I think it's a wake-up call for the church. I think it's a wake-up call for me. Because a person can gather an abundance of things and still be empty on the inside. And that becomes a critical issue. And I want us to look at the bigger picture. I want us to become like the men of Issachar. They understood their times. We need to look at our times. Because if we don't understand our times, we can't carefully lead our families. We need to understand our times so that we will know what our churches should do. We need to understand our times so that we will know what our communities should do. You ought to be observing two things take place right in front of our eyes. On the one hand, the evil that we are seeing today is being perpetuated like never before. The crises, the crimes, the shootings, the growth of pornography on the internet, all of these things are proliferating at an enormous rate. And you ain't seen nothing yet. And our culture within our country is collapsing. And things that were blatant, shocking sin yesterday, we don't even blink at today. And Isaiah, living in a changing world that was collapsing all around him, understood what the basic problem was. Do you? In a very short time, this nation, the Christian community in this nation, faces massive spiritual revival or total moral anarchy. We have so entangled ourselves with the affairs of this life. And we have made Christianity, in a sense, a, a, a show. We cannot have real unity. We cannot speak about the reconciliation we have in Christ if we don't speak about the reconciliation between brothers. Because, in fact, as long as we keep seeing it as an extra non-essential ingredient, you know what it's like? It's like trying to make salsa without the tomatoes. My challenge for us today is to get on board of what God is doing so that when he does it, we are not left behind. I think America is at a very, very serious crossroads in every direction, globally, nationally, in family life, in political life. It's almost as if uh, the nation is working toward a crescendo that has to go one way or another. And I sense uh, the crossroads, not just from man's perspective, but from God's perspective. You better not interpret the time except as God sees it. And I'm gonna press us up against that statement. What does God see concerning America? What's grieving his heart? A man without a vision is a man without a future. And a man without a future will always return to his past. Doing you is going to be the best you've ever seen. 
And there's the call of the Lord to come to the recognition that if you'll come up to the counter and say, this is the time. It's a time for transition. It's God saying, it's your time to lead. It's your time to stop wandering. Enter in. Enter in. Enter in. The enter in was the choice to step across the boundary and go into the land now. And the land was not just a place for going to battle for the sake of conquest. It was to possess the intended realization of God's promised purpose. Is it right for us to expect God to do amazing things for us in, in these days ahead? Or is it too late? Is the spiritual and moral crisis in our nation too great? Has the desert engulfed us? What is God saying to America? Here we are in the Empire State Building. Maybe this is a good place to ask the question, what is the state of the empire? What does God see as he looks across America? But an earthquake hit in the 60s, we're still feeling the aftershocks of this moral earthquake. Usually aftershocks diminish, these aftershocks are just getting stronger. And they're shaking us to the foundations of this nation. Because in the 60s, a new philosophy began to be taught in the universities. It was called moral relativism. Moral relativism believes there is no absolute creator. Therefore, there is no absolute truth. Therefore, there is no absolute right and wrong. Truth is absolutely essential, but in our times, we're saying truth is no longer essential. Your kids are living in the most morally confusing time in the history of America. This spirit called racism, it exists. America, we have a problem, and we need to confront this problem face to face. Many times people are saying, we have a lost generation. We don't have a lost generation. We have the product of a lost generation. What we're seeing in our children is the neglect that's come from far to many of their fathers. The single greatest problem crisis facing America is fatherlessness. Do you know that it really is threatening the very stability of this nation? Tonight, 27 million children will go to sleep without a father in the home. 92% of young people in the city of New York never darken any church. Every 22 seconds, one major crime is committed in America today. Every 34 minutes, one murder is committed in this country. Quarter of a million high school girls leave high school deaths to the maternity ward every year. 100,000 students carry guns into classrooms of American schools on any given day. One million American teenagers are alcoholic today. One out of every eight baby born in this country is an illegitimate child. This is the nation have known nothing but the blessings of God, yet in spite of all the blessings of God in America today, there's a sin on every hand. And when we look at our nation and the collapse of our culture, a nation that I don't care what they're writing now in the history books, we know our nation was founded on faith in God and we've turned our backs on Him. And the primary problem in our culture is sin. And the fact that we have rejected the living God. Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. 
Again, the psalmist tell us, the wicked shall turn into hell and all the nations that forget God. America is no exception. If she forgets God, she'll have to face the wrath and judgment of God like any other nation in the days gone by. Time out! Men of God, time out! Stop what you're doing! Do you realize how close we are to destruction? Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Mother Teresa remarked that she saw in America the greatest poverty she had found anywhere in her travels. She called it a poverty of the spirit. Well, surely God sees our moral bankruptcy, our loss of fixed moral values and absolutes. Surely he sees the 50 million urban poor, where a gap between rich and poor grows wider every year. He sees that we've lost our sense of the sanctity of life, that we've become increasingly a culture of death. Clearly, he sees a desert out there. So maybe we should call a timeout to get perspective, to hear from God, and then to move forward strategically in step with what's on God's heart. What is God saying to America? But even more importantly, what is God saying to the church in America? Many would say the church in the U.S. is the most organized, prosperous, and influential of any in the history of the world. But what does God see in the midst of all the glitz and glamour? Does he see as much desert inside the church as outside? We have more Christian opportunities than any other nation on the face of this earth, and yet we lead the industrialized, the civilized world in murder, in rape, in abortion, in incarceration. What's wrong? I'm convinced that America is a reflection of the condition of the people of God. If I ask you about the time in which we live, would you say America is getting darker or lighter? Many would have to say it's getting darker. Folks, the problem is never with the darkness. The darkness is acting just like its nature. The problem is the light is not dispelling the darkness anymore. So the darkness envelops a nation, and the light is hit. A recent research survey... There ain't no question about them being in trouble, so we get to fussing and arguing about how they're acting and what they're doing, but they can't help themselves because we are the ones in the earth who's supposed to help them, and we got the same problems that they got. When it comes to marriage and family, we have not done well. For the first time in history, here in the Western world, the divorce rate in the church is higher, higher than those who are non-churched and non-Christians. 80% of all young people in the United States, when they leave home, now, these are the ones that are raised in the church. These are the ones that have gone faithfully to church with their parents. These are the ones that have shown an interest in spiritual things. 80% out of all of them, when they leave home, they leave the church. We've substituted programs for prayer and scheduled activities for the Spirit's leading and orthodoxy for obedience and CEOs for pastors and shepherds. What's happening to us? No. Where to begin?
counting the cost of all my sin How could I go day after day Testing your love for me this way Have I wounded you, Lord? Have I caused you to cry? Have you run out of patience for one such as I? Yet I've learned that your mercy extends to the sky So I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me one more time Vision gives a sense of destiny and when God gives you sight, it's because God is giving you a glimpse of what could be in your life and in your future. It's God inviting us and saying, I'm here to tell you that the past, let it be dead, not only what would intimidate you, but the past that would cause you to feel condemned and restricted. The Lord says, I'm going to go with you. God does what he says. He creates the way before you. The obstacles begin to crush before you because God goes before you by his presence and his promise. No matter what has happened in your life to this point, you must start where you are. You say, but I've got a mess in my life. God can take lemons and make lemonade. He can start you where you are. God is building a spiritual highway across America for great revival to come. But he's saying there's still some mountains. There's some mountains of unbelief. And some of us have mountains of lust. And some have mountains of anger and bitterness and broken relationships. And he's saying, I want you to know the father is building the highway for his son. It's under construction. That in Jesus Christ, in the cross, the hostility that existed and that exists today in the world can be done away with if we will only turn to Jesus Christ. You have no hesitation to say, I want to be a godly man. But Jack, you don't know the barricade that's in front of me. And I admit, I don't. But God does. And the living God says, if you'll begin to walk toward it, I can crush it before you. If you'll begin to walk toward it, I'll begin to break down that wall of obstacles. If you'll begin to walk toward it, I'll slay the giants. God says to us, if we confess our sins, he is eager to forgive us. You know, we preach the cross. And we preach the gospel. But you and I are supposed to live at the cross, never leave the cross. And you know, this past year, as I've been really burdened and praying for revival within the church and feeling my heart broken for it and asking God to open doors that maybe I could be used of him in a small way to help him bring revival to the church, he has just literally raked me over the coals. And it is not pleasant. And you see sin in your life. I have seen sin in my life that was embarrassing and humiliating. And I couldn't believe how obnoxious it was to me. I could only imagine what it was to him again and again and again. Would you choose today to repent of your sin? You come to the cross, return to the cross of Christ. And just lay your soul bare and ask God to convict you and point the sin out to you. And you're like, we will never have revival in the church until you and I repent, turn from our wicked ways. Would you repent of your sin, return to the cross, 
And then accept the cleansing, accept the forgiveness. Recommit yourself to living for Jesus Christ. Recommit yourself to the gospel. In my heart, I'm down. in the ground and to say I heed the warnings and I'm ready to embrace the hope God sets before us I will get ready that means getting back to the cross getting completely clean before Christ being broken before God I must repent of every sin that entangles me whatever we sense God needs to do to salvage our culture we must be willing for him to do within our own lives first, no matter what the cost. In other words, as Joshua says, we must consecrate ourselves now. But you might ask, how can my personal response to Christ have any impact? How can my life make a difference for the spiritual awakening of a whole nation or simply in my church or community? Well, just listen to this story of the impact of one transformed life. I was born in the inner city of Baltimore, Maryland, in the ghetto. I was going nowhere. My mother and father fought like cats and dogs. I remember now how they got on each other, fist fights, knife fights, everything, and it was, they were on their way to a divorce. But one day, my daddy went to work. It was a white man who sat down next to him and said, if you died right now, do you know whether you'd go to heaven? My father said, I can't say that I know I'd go to heaven. And that day, he shared the good news of Jesus Christ with my daddy. My daddy accepted Jesus Christ as his savior. And we knew the man who went to work that morning was not the same man who came home that day. The only time my father could read the Bible was at two in the morning when my mother was asleep. He would get up, he would come downstairs in order to pray. And one of his prayers was, Lord, if you give me the strength, I will, by your grace, save my family. But I can't do it apart from a miraculous intervention by you. My mother made life miserable, but a year later, he heard her coming down at two in the morning while she was reading her Bible. He thought to himself, oh no, here we go, another battle. But this night was different because when she came down, she was crying. He said, what's wrong? She said, every time I hate you, you love me. Every time I reject you, you accept me. Every time I turn you away, you pray for me. She said, I have been watching this, thinking this was just some religious fad you were on. But you have been nonstop at this for a year. So whatever this is you have must be real. How can I have it right now? with my mother let her debate in Christ and she became a fruitful vine they gathered me and my siblings around the table witness to us we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior all of a sudden our home on that inner city block was unlike the rest of the homes 
on the inner city block. I became the first person in my family to finish high school. Then I became the first person in my family to graduate from college. Then I became the first African-American to get a doctorate degree from Dallas Theological Seminary while working on my doctorate. We started a church with 20 people, 10 people in my house. That's now over 5,000 today. While we were developing the church, we started the radio broadcast that's now heard in 450 stations across America and 40 countries around the world. Now, I didn't tell you that to tell you about me. I told you that to tell you about my daddy. You see, he learned to fear God. When he feared God, his mother became a fruitful vine. I became an olive plant. He then took us and raised us in Zion, and that's the reason I'm in the community of Des Moines, Iowa tonight. So what is the very next step? It's not to do more, but to seek more. As we look out over the wasteland of our culture and our church today, you might ask, do we have a prayer? And the answer is in one sense, yes. In fact, all we have is a prayer. Recently, over 100 Christian leaders, including Billy Graham, issued a nationwide call to prayer to the church in America. It first appeared as a full-page ad in USA Today, and it read in part, We strongly urge all churches and all Christians of America to unite in seeking the face of God through prayer and fasting, persistently asking our Father to send revival to the church and spiritual awakening to our nation so that Christ's great commission might be fulfilled worldwide in our generation. That's the best response any of us can make, given our need for an extraordinary move of God. Why not join with millions of believers who are watching this video and pray for a national spiritual awakening to Christ that begins in your own heart, and then in your congregation. In fact, why not plan to do that just for a few minutes when this video concludes? Christ is the hope of a new millennium. For all who trust in Him, the Bible says He is nothing less than the hope of all the glorious things to come. As we prepare for a new move of God, He's the hope of all the ages. He's the hope of our nation. Brothers and sisters, everything stands or falls with what we do with Him right now. And you can trust Him. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He can satisfy all of our needs and he can do it simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he sees. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. I'm trying to tell you, you can trust him. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. You can trust him. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. 
His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable because he's incomprehensible. He's irresistible and he's invincible. You can't get him off your hands. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Herod couldn't kill him, death couldn't handle him, and thank God the grave couldn't hold him. There was nobody before him, there will be nobody after him. He had no predecessor, he'll have no successor. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. You can trust him.
If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. We will come to him and make my home with him. Those words that just came across, you can trust him. He is everything. And the word of God says this, that if you believe him, that as a married couple, if he's first place in your marriage, if he's first place in your home, can you imagine the lifestyle we'll have? Satan's got one goal, to make sure that you don't understand that and you, you don't believe it. But did you see what happened to Dale when he gave his heart to Jesus Christ? He got filled with an agape love, a love so great that regardless of what his wife said, it was the love of Jesus Christ that kept flowing out of him. Can you imagine that if we get a hold of the vision and it becomes natural in our house that Jesus Christ is the center, that we be a people that will be led by the Holy Spirit, that in my house it becomes heaven. You heard that. That's a description of heaven in our house for all those that believe. Do you believe? Do you believe it's possible for you? You make believe it's not hard to believe it's for Vic and Faith, right? Or for Tim and Carol. But is it possible for you? If you've come from a family where there's been divorced or hurts, and you look at everything that's in the world, and it's been shattered. You've come out of families where there's been such misery and hurt. That even if you've been married four or five years now, and the dream that you had on your wedding day, it is no longer there. Can God restore that? Can God bring a love back that's by far greater than you've ever experienced. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross. It done a perfect work. Once. For the, I mean, did everything for the past. Everything for today. And everything for the future. There is no sin. No hurt. Between husband and wife and family. That God can't totally restore it. And bring your marriage back. To once again. You've got heaven in your home. I enjoy my marriage. And I'm so glad that Jesus changed my heart. I don't know everything, but I know that I have a forgiving God. I make mistakes, and I ask my wife to forgive me, she forgives me. And then you know what? We can confess our sins before God. He 
said, son, daughter, I forgive you. And I forget. And you know, when my mate forgives me, because she loves Jesus, she also forgets. So that the only thing we have left is the good memories in God. Now you've seen the video. You know what I've seen? I've seen a lot of tears. I've seen a lot of hurt. I've seen people are crying out. We're looking for a people to rise up and say it's real. The world is tired of phonies. But Jesus Christ is no phony. Neither are the people phony that have made a decision. I'm going to follow you, Lord. And let God change our hearts. Amen? Amen. Now I said this, I'm going to ask you what you've seen. Uh, what are some of the things that you've seen in that video? Good, excellent. Yes, Stan. Good, good stand. Okay, good, excellent. What else did you see in that video? Excellent, good. What she said is, what, you want to say that louder so everybody can hear that? Mary. Good.
Excellent. Hmm. Repentance. You want to stand up and tell, explain, tell, what does repentance mean to you? Come on up here, cat. I think very often as Christians, and I, and I'll speak from my own personal experience. Um, you know, you can go for a long time without asking the Holy Spirit, asking Jesus to search your heart and to repent. And I know over the last few years. You know, and very often on Sunday, I just feel like shouting down the microphone, repent, repent, repent. You know, I feel a bit like, I ought to be like John the Baptist. But but for me, it's really getting before God. And I know, I know, I know one of the things I need to do, and this is, you know, I need to sit down with Howard and repent and ask him to forgive me for things in my own. And that's, I, I was actually resisting God before when we were sat here because I knew that is something I need to do. But it is getting before God and allowing him to um, reveal to you what you need to repent of. And when you do that in the quietness and you listen to his voice, um, it's amazing what churns up and what comes up. You know, especially it needs to be done on a regular basis. You know, and uh, the first time I did it, after not doing it for a long time, I was um, just quiet. It was in a big prayer meeting asking the Holy Spirit just to come and challenge you and, and reveal things. And I, I really, it's quite arrogant really, but I just thought, well, you know, I'm, I think I'm pretty fine. And I was astounded what, about what came up. I was, you know, astounded. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. Absolutely shocked. You know, so I... I <laughs> but you didn't feel condemned, did you? You know what? That's the way the Spirit of God works. When He reveals what we need to change in, He doesn't condemn you. He encourages you to change because the change is so fruitful. Amen? Okay, there's more. Yes? Yes. Yes. That's very powerful. One of the things that we're going to be talking tomorrow about is the cross. Good point. Real good point. But she says, important to be able to receive the forgiveness. Okay? Yes? Amen. Good. Good point. Yes? 
One thing is we'll find tomorrow that when, uh, and tomorrow is going to be a full day, we will find that um, as we walk out God's big biblical principles that it will take, we, we'll see we, God will do amazing things. Um, matter of fact, it blows me away the amazing things that God can do. And what it, all God is doing is he's looking for a faithful people who is going to want to bring his message into the earth. Because God says, the Lord says this, because of what he did on the cross, Jesus did, God now is a people that's rising up for his own personal possession. And it reminds me of a father and a mother who has children. The love that the father and mother have for their children. I believe that, that the Lord has given us so many examples just by looking at parents on his attitude toward his children. And I, you know, I, I, God does, will do mighty amazing things. He, he just does it, you know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, that's why, you know, you just can't help but be thankful all the time. You just can't help but be thankful. And so there's a lot more that I, I think the best is yet to come. I mean, I think we are just, they, they talked about, by the way, 80% of the people leaving, that are leaving the church. But I believe this, that the church of God, the real church of God, when I say the real church of God, the real people where it's practiced in the home, where Jesus Christ is evident in the home. Because like Kat says, where there needs to be repentance, where the children themselves see that if mom and dad made a mistake, they see mom and dad getting it right. They see that they see that their his mom and dad have been forgiven. Mom and dad are teaching them what it means to be at the cross. Mom and dad, by their own example for the kids, are teaching them. That I believe this, that as we pass on the torch to our children, our children are going to take it farther. It ain't going to be a children. They are going to get revelation and pass us up. But we parents need to be setting the example. I like what he says about dad. You know what I put on my notes? How many dads are here? Raise your hands. We dads need to become just like they did. You know what he says? My dad. You know what our children ought to be saying? My daddy. My daddy was the example in my house. Now because... His daddy was the example in his house. Look at the lifestyle Dale has. And it has impacted thousands of people because of one daddy. You see? Amen? Yeah. Okay, I'm getting a little late. so, But I want to bring you something. Bring somebody up here tonight that I'm real proud of. They were part of a marriage Bible study, Bible course, that lasted a few weeks. And I remember how they came in, and I see their life, what it's like now. 
and I'd like you to bring Steve and Glory up here and share with you what happens when Jesus Christ is the center of your marriage. I'm glad for this opportunity to share because God has been really good to us as individuals and as a couple and it's a privilege to really share about that and we do feel our marriage is a blessing from him and um, in fact for me I about three and a half years ago I had said to Steve um, I even knew then it was actually the day we got engaged here at Lake Geneva that you know this is really something greater than I would have even asked God for and so I want to glorify him for that. Um, I guess even speaking of that day when we were engaged, I, we weren't even married yet, but I really knew that day that God's promises had come to us. And um, no, I'm <laughs> nervous. Um, I guess what I mean by that is I knew even then before we were married that in our family life we would go farther than even our parents did. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to them, but it's because God came into our lives in a way that hadn't impacted them and that we didn't experience as children. So that excited me. And um, also that just as a person, I felt very confident in Steve and, and his ability to bring me on in the Lord and to you know, bring me closer to the Lord you know, by challenging me and by encouraging me. And also I felt confident that um, as a couple that God, by his grace and power, could make us a reflection of him in the earth, that the spirit in us could um, <laughs> still crank <laughs> I just got to settle down. But no, that excites me. It, it moves me because it's, I can't believe he did that with us. And um, and I know there's, there's a lot more to come, but to have the family life plus individually feel provoked as a woman of God through my marriage and plus have having confidence that the Spirit of God could use us and do something with us that I that excites me so now that's why you hear that in my voice I'll pass it to Steve and settle down a little <laughs> yeah. well when Don asked us to share he kind of prepared an outline for us. And um, one part of it was old self in our relationship. So I'm just going to share a few points on that. Um, I can remember when we, I wasn't letting the Holy Spirit work through our difficulties. And I wasn't patient enough for him to speak in our situation. And, you know, I tried to fix it and I'd get angry and it just wouldn't work. And, uh, mm-hmm. But now I think we've, I've just started to become more sensitive the Holy Spirit and yielding to him and and letting him teach me and and how I should handle the situation and um, so he can be in control and not me 
also I was recognizing um, like when we have disagreements sometimes it's just like sometimes like a, like this banner comes above me and just says you know you're in the spirit right now and I just know anything that comes at me um, I'm gonna I'm gonna handle it right because I know I'm just following with God's spirit and um, I, just, I just have confidence that I'm not gonna do something wrong because I, I I know he's leading me and I, I can see it and he just makes it really known to me where it wasn't like that before and and other times when I just know I'm in the flesh and I just know you know you just gotta keep your mouth shut here because nothing good's gonna come out of your mouth right now <laughs> and so it works I just find that working with us now and um, it's just really great I think uh, another thing is just that Gloria and I are very different people and uh, Early in our marriage, it'd be frustrating for us because she's one way and I'm another way, and we just would not agree on things. And we just seem to have many arguments. Um, you didn't have to say that bit. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just well, kidding. You know, they might have been petty things, but they were, there are a lot of arguments. I don't know. There's just a lot of disagreements. <laughs> some di- right, some disagreements. I don't know. And um, <laughs> no. But um, but now I see the difference that differences of us. I just see them as strengths, and I just see that we can complement one another instead of you know being a bad thing. And and I'm I'm just challenged instead of frustrated by what Gloria brings to our marriage um, with our different differences and different attitudes. And it's like that saying that if you both were so much alike, there'd be no need for one of you. And just remember that now. Yeah, I guess God's shown me how I need Steve. There's actually a word over his life about during the first year of our marriage, and it was about his life being like an anvil, which is this steel block, as I understand it, that is used to help form metals and shape them. And I don't really know how this works, but from my experience, I kind of wonder if there's like a hammer and crushing involved. <laughs> because, <laughs> because that's really... Okay, good. <laughs> So the description still does bring meaning to my life then because um, cause that's, that's what it's been like sometimes when you do have those two wills going at each other and, and Steve's right, <laughs> the banner comes over him more sometimes, which is great, but I just see things in him and I think he's being more like God than I am right now and I need to be shaped by him and, and just that word excited me um, and it really opened my heart to to really hear God through his example and to be determined to, you know, come into things that he might be better at than me in, in a way of being more godly. So um, there are a few few examples of that. Um, he's a lot slower to react to me than I am to him sometimes. Like if I'm tired, he usually just is so tolerant and gracious, whereas I always think there's got to be something wrong, but he's just tired, and that drives him crazy, so that's something I've, you know, seen in a better example with him and want to come into that, and he's really quick to forgive. I, I don't know how he does it sometimes, because it's so different from me, like I'll want to insist that, you know, I'm hurt or I have some right, and he, he never does that. He's more committed to our oneness than he is to his right to be mad, and I respect that so much. (laughs) And I appreciate it, because that challenges me, an example of that, I think. 
yeah, I'm going to come into that too. I'm still crying. I just do this, you guys, okay? Thank you. <laughs> but I love it. It's so, it's the power of God in our lives. And, and what else, what else, you know, what else would we be doing if we're just existing, you know? It's just so much better to feel that there is a challenge on me through my husband, so. But also, I, I love, I don't know if you guys are catching on to this, but Steve has a great sense of humor. And so many times, that just, I mean, that just, pre, like, protects us from so much stress that might enter in. He just makes me laugh, and I really enjoy that, too. So that, that's a blessing, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, going back to the outline, see, Gloria didn't follow the outline, but... <laughs> So the next thing in Don's outline was. <laughs> I know, we knew we were going to have this problem. <laughs> well, he talked, he was um, just about a relationship with the Lord and mm. our relationship. And, you know, we've been married a bit over two and a half years, and we came to our marriage born again. And we're just grateful for God for that. He's just mm. set a standard in us and. Um, you know, laid, it, laid the foundation of Jesus Christ within us and within our home. So, and we both come from homes that had, you know, God-centered. And I just believe that God's starting a new generation with us, yeah. with our family. Yeah. And, um, and like, you know, how Don says that we can bring heaven into our homes. And I just see that, you know, really for us. And another thing, I just see, you know, God has a plan for our marriage, of course, and he chose us to be together. So I just know he's not going to fail it. He's not going to fail our relationship, and he's not going to fail a problem that you think just cannot be solved. I mean, he's just not going to do it. Right. You just got to believe he's brought you together and then, right. you know, go from there. Yeah. And that's where we're at. And I'm just confident, confident that he's going to just shape me, you know, into the husband and father that he intends for me to be. So moving on, um, what do I see in Gloria? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is selfless. She's just um, very giving to me and to others, and and I see her consistently putting putting me first before herself and putting others first before herself, and this really blesses me and makes me know that she loves me, and mm-hmm. so um, it's a great quality. Um, another thing, she just gives you everything she's got to the fullest. She does everything with her whole heart, and she doesn't whine too much. <laughs> but she's not a complainer. I mean, she just, you know, if we're going, if we're just busy, 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 you know, she just doesn't complain about it. She just, you know, knows. She just does everything with her whole heart, and um, I just think that's really great. And uh, she's a good friend. Are you reading these? No, not. <laughs> <laughs> she's just a good friend and listener, and um, she's a caring person who just hears people out. She gives you full attention, and um, she's easy to talk to, very warm heart, and um, she's honest. Mm-hmm. You know, um, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, 
Now that was from. <laughs> no, that was a blessing because on our wedding day, he was like always on the other side of the room when this was happening. And I was like, he was more shy then. No, no. <laughs> that was nice too. Okay, because I'm not on the outline, this doesn't fit in <laughs> with what I'm going to say, but. Um, just according to the video and some of the things shared, I guess it. I guess I want to share it anyway because this was a real basic thing, but it brought a lot of revelation to to me and um, helped me a lot in our marriage. But I guess we were married about a year, and a friend said to me, you know, kind of comically, but in seriousness too. He's sort of a st statistics person, and he said, well, "You've made it through the first year. You know, that really raises your chances for succeeding at this because it's like the first year and the third year and the twelfth year or something." of those likes that most marriages break down. And I kind of knew what he was getting at, but I guess what I found to be more true than that, um, meaning that it's not really time or routine that breaks down marriages or makes them difficult, but it's sin in our lives. And it was just interesting how God spoke that to me at that moment. And it changed a lot of things in me because I think up until that point, I was more looking on the outside like, oh, this must just be the difference in personalities that Steve alluded to, or it's because we're inexperienced or all these things. But then God just showed me that it comes down to sin in my heart or in Steve's heart and how we interact. And it's just released me from so much to know that because now when there's a problem, I don't have to really wonder about so many things. I can just ask God, you know, is, sin, where, is there sin here? And, what, you know, where is it? Whose is it? That sort of thing. And I can just come take terms with things and come into repentance much better and it's been a blessing because you know things are resolved so quickly that way when you are open to the spirit like Steve was saying so um, and I just wanted to share a point from the marriage group that uh, we've been done with that for a while now but um, it really sticks with me that you know we're called to prepare our husband or our wife for the Lord and part of being married is seeing that they're ready for meeting him. And like at first I was so sobering to hear that, but again, it excited me because I thought what an opportunity to impact somebody that way, that what you, what you do in your life can actually make them more ready for when the Lord returns or, you know, I just think, wow, that's so wonderful to be able to do that. And it's so opposite to what um, actually scared me one time when I read in the Word about the hot-tempered man and how he commits many sins. And it just, I don't know, it was like a fork almost in the road. I could see how you can either live your life in your home in one way which causes your spouse to come closer to God and you can create an atmosphere where they just are drawn to God because there's no conflict, there's not all this selfishness, but, you know, there's the presence of God that can flow between you or just in you, which is like an aroma to them. Or, or you can go this other route where you're provoking them in negative ways. And then, I mean, the thought of me doing something to cause Steve or, you know, point him in that direction to commit many sins, it just, ugh, you know, I just don't want any part in that. And, you know, so that's really what, you know, our home, I guess, we're building. It, it's just a place where, you know, we're drawn closer to the Lord and... You know, it sounds funny to say, but, you know, we're spiritual people, and we want a spiritual household, and 
so like prayer and worship and the use of spiritual gifts and those kinds of things that we experience together as brothers and sisters, I want even more evidently flowing between Steve and I. And I guess, you know, we just, and how we deal with our conflicts, which we already covered, I want to do that in a spiritual way because I can do that because there's someone telling me inside the Holy Spirit telling me how to do it and keeping me from lifestyles we don't have to have that maybe other people in our family did. But, you know, we're free from all that, and I'm really thankful to God for that. So um, that's what we're after, to, you know, to have a home that speaks of Jesus loving his church, and we want to relate to one another. That speaks of how God loved us and drew us to him. And, I mean, if we, if we can't have that together, then we're not really any good to you guys, and we're not really any good to the Lord. It's only as good as it is between us. So that's what we're asking God to help us in, and thanking him for, you know, the progress we have made. So, anyway, <laughs> thank you. That's it. Wasn't that good? What did you learn from that? It was powerful. But what was powerful to it? What did you see? Strength. Okay. What else? Relying on God. What else? Excellent. Good. Anything else? Yes. Total, right? Right. Yes. That's right. Yes, Hoppy. They trust one another. Good. Stan? Good. Excellent. Yes. Good. Really good. When you say that's a description of light, isn't it? And there's another point that, 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 that came out on how um, she's, uh, what's, Gloria. <laughs> My mind went blank for a while. How Gloria, and she said this, I'm going to make it easy for my husband to know the Lord. I'm going to make it easy for him to be ready to meet Christ. Can you imagine if every husband treats his wife that way and every wife treats the husband that way? What would, what message will be sent to the world? Hmm? That's it. Let's all stand, okay? There's going to be a full day tomorrow. We heard tonight just a number of things. We heard about repentance. You've got a form in there that can be used as a guideline. When you go back to your rooms, take some time and discuss it. It's a rating form. One thing I liked about Steve and Gloria, they were open, they were honest.
you could see it. Be open and honest with each other. This is God's hour. And you know when God is present, there's no condemnation. But you can be real. There might be tonight, some of you might have to forgive each other. And I say forgive each other because God's got a message tomorrow that's going to be coming across. If there's sin on your heart, resentment, it's going to be difficult for you here. We heard about openness tonight. I appreciate the questions that came. I appreciate all the other things. We must be open and honest because we're all learners. We're all looking for, to be used of God for a better tomorrow. We are all people are learning. And so do that when you get back to your room. Okay? Father, I want to thank you for tonight. Thank you for the message that came across tonight. Lord, we know this, that every person that is here tonight, I believe isn't accidentally here. Oh, maybe the wife said she wants to go, or somebody else says, you gotta go. But who, I believe this, that whoever is here, is here because you brought them here, God. This is your plan, your hour. And I just pray for each and every person here now, God, that the hearts be totally open to everything that you want to bring across this weekend. In your precious name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a good night. Get a good rest. Tomorrow is a big day. Thank you.